Today on the Matt Wall Show, as a concerned community member, I personally attended a Nashville school board meeting yesterday to voice my opinion on the district's universal mask mandate. Many others were there on both sides of the issue. It was an illuminating experience, and I'll tell you about it. Play some of the footage today. Also, Andrew Cuomo is resigning. Conservatives are celebrating. But the left is celebrating, too, which tells me that maybe this isn't the big win that we think it is. I'll explain. And Dr. Fauci has some thoughts on freedom. He's not a fan of it, apparently. No surprise there. Plus, in our daily cancellation, we ask the question, are master bedrooms racist? The answer might surprise you, but probably not. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you've probably heard me talk about my Helix mattress, uh, which is... And I don't just say this because I'm paid to say it. I am paid to say it, but it also happens to be true that it's the most comfortable mattress I've ever slept on. Um, but they, are, they have a, a new company that they just launched called Allform, and they're making premium customizable sofas and chairs that are shipped right to your door. So what makes an Allform sofa really cool? For starters, it's the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric, the sofa color, the color of the leg, sofa size, the shape to make sure that it's perfect for you and your home. I don't know if you know this, but uh, generally, if you, to get this kind of sofa normally is very, very expensive. But uh, with all form, the other great thing is you, you, got, you, get, you get to customize it. You get a very comfortable, uh, very stylish sofa, and it's going to cost a fraction of where it would almost anywhere else. Um, and you, you order it all, all online. It's very easy. They ship it right to your door, and I cannot recommend it enough. They, the sofas are just as comfortable as the mattress, and that's the highest recommendation I could possibly give. So, an Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash Walsh. So go there now. Again, it's allform.com slash Walsh. Just last week, our school board uh, here in Nashville decided to instate a universal mask mandate for all students and all staff and anyone else who sets foot inside the building. On Monday, the board outlined the punishments that will be meted out to any child who dares to show his bare face on school grounds. Actually, there are many other offenses a student might commit beyond the indecent exposure of his nose and mouth. As the Tennessean reports, the offenses include, quote, refusing to wear a mask or maintain social distancing, leaving a designated area, or intentionally exchanging bodily fluids such as coughing or sneezing are considered violations of the district's protocols. Coughing and sneezing now count as misconduct. I'm sorry, not coughing and sneezing, only intentional coughing and sneezing. Intentional coughing and sneezing in the first degree with malice aforethought. That's what we're really worried about, you know. How do you distinguish between intentional coughing and sneezing and accidental coughing and sneezing? These details are not provided, which means that it'll be up to the schools to decide whether any particular incident of coughing qualifies as an infraction or not. And if it is an offense, the offender better not make a habit of it because the consequences can be quite dire. More from the Tennessee, and it says... Students who violate the district's protocols could face discipline, including a student-teacher conference for the first offense. Let's stop there for a second. Uh, I'm trying to imagine a student-teacher conference where the where the where the uh, you know sitting down talking about a cough. How long is that conversation going to be? And then second offense is a parent-teacher conference. So now the parents are going to sit down, and you have the the student there, and everyone's sitting down very solemnly. And the teacher says, I need to talk to you because your son um, coughed in class. And we're pretty sure it was on purpose. But if this continues, um, if there is a third offense, then suspension or expulsion may be next, as outlined by the district's student handbook upon further incidents. Now, um, will we reach a point where a serial coffer might actually be expelled? Yes, we can count on it. Because a certain madness has gripped hold of a large portion of the country and there is no ceiling to this craziness. Or perhaps I should say there's no basement, no floor. We're going to keep plunging because fearful people are capable of just about anything. I witnessed this myself last night as I attended the Metro Nashville School Board meeting to lend my support to these sane parents who don't want to muzzle their kids for eight hours a day and also to make my own voice heard. Now, I should acknowledge at the outset that, yes, I homeschool my kids. They aren't setting foot inside a public school, especially not after what I witnessed last night. But my money attends public schools in this town. I pay for them. 
And so the school's policies are very much my business. Also, I care about the mistreatment of children, even if they are not my own. Imagine that. That's why I talk about issues like abortion and the trans indoctrination of kids and so on. My kids aren't going to be subjected to any of that either. And yet I still speak because these kids who are subjected to it can't speak for themselves and need all the advocates they can get. Now, I've nonetheless been criticized for daring to speak at the school board when my kids don't attend. But I've got news for you. This wasn't the last time. I kind of enjoyed it. So they're going to be hearing from me again. And I can tell you that. And and next time, maybe I'll bring three or four hundred friends along with me. The public school system is a government institution, and I am a taxpayer, which means I get to make my voice heard, and I will, repeatedly and loudly. And I certainly won't put my kids in the middle of this lunacy just so that I can have the right to do so. Also, note something else. Many of the loudest voices in the country calling for kids to be masked in public school certainly do not send their kids to public school. Many of them don't even have kids. Many of the loudest voices in the country calling for masks in general don't wear them themselves, as we've seen. If they can get involved and have a say, so can I. And so can you. Now, with that out of the way, back to the school board meeting. Yesterday was, in fact, a big day for school boards in the greater Nashville area. South of here in Williamson County, there was a huge turnout of largely anti-mask mandate people, um, many of them rallying outside in addition to the hundreds of people inside. Many spoke out against the mandates there, including Clay Travis. He was there. Based on what I saw on social media and the news reports, it seems that it was a pretty inspiring turnout as sanity outweighed insanity in Williamson County. That is, sanity outweighed insanity among the people, just not on the school board itself, unfortunately, which, which still voted 7-3 to three to mandate the masks anyway. Uh, but that shouldn't be the end of the, of the discussion. The pressure should stay on these people for as long as the masks are on the kids. Now, at our meeting, the scene was a little bit different. The board had already instated the mask mandate before the public meeting yesterday. They met last week and instated it, and then they had the meeting. Um, A sizable group of people showed up to represent the pro-freedom, pro-sanity side, but this is downtown Nashville, which means we had a large group of pro-mask mandate parents and teachers um, who who were there in attendance. Uh, and, And there were other markers too, other signifiers showing what we were up against. Like, for example, the rainbow flags decorating the boardroom and even adorning the uniforms of the security guards. Don't worry, though. They did have the latest and most inclusive and also ugliest rainbow flag prominently displaying their special support for the trans community. Now, the rainbow flag is, of course, a leftist religious icon and has no place in any school building or government building of any kind. Separation of church and state. Isn't that what we're always told? But that's a problem we'll have to tackle another day. And we will, by the way. The public comments began with a whole series of pro-mask mandate parents. Uh, Many of these people were, I can tell you, hysterical. Completely hysterical. Listening to these parents defending the mask mandate. Many of them tearfully thanking the school board for imposing it. Thank you for saving my kids with tears in their eyes. I'm not exaggerating. And watching this, what jumped out at me, of course, was was, was the fear. I mean, they were sometimes literally trembling in terror, deathly afraid that that their children would die from a virus that has killed 0.008% of the 42 million children it has infected. A mortality rate so low that it simply is not rational to worry about it. I tried to make that point when it was my time to speak. Uh, We'll play some of that for you now. And by the way, the, the city has not posted the video of the meeting yet, so we had, uh, we had to make do with the cell phone video my producer Sean took. The audio isn't the best, but bear with us, um, and uh, here it is. You and the school board have decided that our kids should go to school all day, every day, wearing muzzles like rabid dogs. I have listened to your arguments, and I've noticed that they're missing a few things, namely evidence, data, science, common sense, and basic human decency. You presented no facts at all. Uh, So let me do that now. Here they are. COVID poses almost no risk to our kids at all. 4.2 million children have tested positive for COVID. A total of 0.008% of them have died. What about the flu? The CDC estimates that 480 kids died from the flu in the 2018-2019 season. That's more than have died from COVID in a year and a half. Now, did anyone on this board suggest at any point that year that kids wear masks? Did anyone in this room suggest that at any point anyone wear masks for flu, which again is more dangerous Two kids, then COVID. That's a fact. 
Do you know what it's called when you force your children to wear masks for fear of a virus that poses almost no threat to them? It's called child abuse. You want to look up a disease, look up Munchausen by proxy, because that's what this is. If you think I'm exaggerating, then how would you respond to a parent who forced his kid to wear a football helmet every day, all day, for fear of falling coconuts and meteors? Your kid is, is almost as likely to die of COVID as he is from a rock from the sky. And yet if you saw that, you would say to that parent that he is abusive, that he is forcing his kid to participate in this utterly insane charade in order to satisfy his delusional, psychotic hypochondria. Now, do any of you know what sort of psychological damage we do to children by forcing them to cover their faces, teaching them that the air is toxic, that everyone around them is sick, yeah. depriving them of the ability to see each other's faces. Do you know what kind of damage that, do that does? Have you thought about it? Have you wondered about the health effects of forcing kids to breathe through sweat and spit and dirt-soaked rags every single day? Are you sure that there are no health risks? Do you know what the effect is on children developmentally if they're not able to read each other's facial cues? What about learning to read and they can't see the teacher enunciating the words? What does it do to a child's developing immune system if he has to wear a mask all day, every day? You're satisfied to place this burden on children anyway, and why? It's not to keep them safe, they are safe. It's not to keep the adults safe, they can all get vaccinated if they want. No, you do it to make yourselves feel better and to protect yourselves politically. The child's mask is a symbolic security blanket for you, not them. It's a disgrace and you should all be ashamed. Thank you for your You know, that guy raises some good points. And a uh, pretty good-looking guy, too, if I have to, if I do say so myself. Hit it right there at the buzzer. Uh, and that was the, the main thing I was uh, the most proud of. They give, you, they give you three minutes, and they're pretty strict about it. So right at the buzzer. That's how you do it, ladies and gentlemen. Now, um, the point about the flu has been made many times, but we, we should keep making it. Uh, and I wasn't the only person, by the way, in, in the crowd there to, uh, to bring up this issue of, of the flu. Um, because perhaps more than any other point, it reveals how completely irrational our approach to COVID has been. It's not that there was less masking during flu seasons in the past, or even that people called for masking but never succeeded in getting the policies put in place until COVID. You know, no, 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 that's not what happened. Nobody ever considered it. It was not an option on the table. Nobody ever brought it up. The people who are now saying, you're going to kill my child if you don't wear a mask. None of them, not one, ever said anything during flu season. And that's because although the flu is a greater danger to kids, there was never any campaign to make us afraid of it. We were all concerned about the flu, cautious about it to a certain extent. Um, we obviously didn't want to get the flu or we didn't want to, we certainly didn't want our kids to get it. When I got a, a, a terrible case of the flu about a year and a half ago, which now on second thought, I think it was probably COVID, but at the time we thought it was, was the flu. And, um, and we had a, a newborn in the house and it was, you know, and I was very, very sick for about three or four days. And I quarantined myself in a room and basically didn't leave it because I especially didn't want the baby to get the flu because that could be really fatal. Um, the point is, I, I didn't need anyone to tell me that. I didn't need I didn't need I didn't need to look at any guidance guidance from the CDC. I didn't need a year and a half of lecturing. I just knew to do that because I'm a rational person and I don't want my kids to get sick. But even though we were concerned about the flu, we didn't want our kids to get it. We we maintained a proper perspective about it and we continued living our lives. Many people, as I witnessed myself firsthand last night, have lost their ability to do that with COVID completely lost it. I mean, lost it in like every sense of the word. One, I'm telling you, one parent after another, losing it. Barely able to speak because they're so afraid. Overwhelmed by their own fear. Fear is the, pande fear is the pandemic now. It is the virus. And notice something. It's the average citizen. It's the parent of the school child who trembles in fear who literally cries to the school board that she's afraid her child will die. The people putting these policies in place, the powers that be, they're not trembling. That's because they're not afraid. They know better. But they want you to be afraid because your fear is the greatest gift to them. Your fear makes you easy to control, to manipulate, to persuade of anything. 
A fearful populace is a subjugated populace. Fearful people become willful slaves. Roosevelt might have been onto something after all. It sounds like a cliche now, but it's true. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. And that has never been more true than it is today. Now let's get to our five headlines. Say, folks, have you heard that The Great Courses Plus is changing their name? Well, they are. Uh, their new name is Wondrium. Wondrium is everything we know and loved about The Great Courses Plus and so much more. Wondrium provides fantastic video and audio learning experiences, tons of great content to enrich our lives with mind-blowing moments because, listen, learning and educating ourselves, it actually is, learning is fun, kids. Education is fun. It, it's not always fun at school is the problem. Um, but uh, even after you leave school, after you graduate, no matter how old you are, you got to keep learning. And uh, I think it's a lot more fun when you do it on your own, of your own accord. And that's what OneDream is all about. We can still stream all of our favorites from the great courses, including videos created in partnership with National Geographic, Smithsonian History, the Culinary Institute of America, and many more, plus entirely new and exciting programs as well, like OneDream Originals and collections from Kino Lorber, Magellan TV, Craftsy, and many others. Uh, plus exclusive documentaries like the award-winning winning film Breaking Their Silence, all for no extra cost. So you got to sign up for this now through my special URL where you can get this offer. It's a free 14-day uh, trial of unlimited access. Go to wondrium.com slash Walsh. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash Walsh. Wondrium.com slash Walsh. All right, we'll start with this. Here's someone who is not afraid. Um, Chet Hanks. Founder of White Boy Summer, um, I think has has risen to the status now of one of our nation's preeminent public health experts. I, in fact, I would, and I don't even say this to be funny. If I was elected president, I would appoint Chet Hanks director of the CDC. You know, you you could appoint um, a a moldy tomato to be head of the CDC, and it would be better than what we have now. So it's not really saying much to say that he would be better. But he would be. I mean, his, his attitude to the virus is far healthier than what we hear from our so-called public health experts. And uh, he's been doing a lot of speaking out. And, and I think in part, it's, it's sort of to defend White Boy Summer, because how can we have White Boy Summer if we're all wearing masks and we're too afraid to go outside? Uh, so here's the latest from Chet Hanks. Let's all, let's all just watch and uh, bask in the wisdom here. I'm so sick of this mask, dude. Flipping Barnes & Noble. Buying books. Check out my mask slips like a little millimeter past my nostril. Oh, sir, you gotta have your mask. Oh yeah, my bad, my bad. Slips down again. Sir, your mask. Oh, okay, my bad. Gotcha. I'm like, I go, I go. You're really on it, huh? He goes, uh, yeah, we are. <laughs> okay. He's like, did you get the vaccine? I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure, I got the vaccine. Psych. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I never had COVID. The man is. Uh... The man has a point. He actually does. I, I again, I, I don't even, I don't say it ironically to be funny. He, he's got a, he has a healthier attitude about this than half of the country, more than half of the country. And this whole bit, he, he's right to be annoyed by, uh, especially, it's not enough to wear the damn mask, you know. Um, you, you, you also, it needs to be, you got to keep it above your your nose. Well, who cares? Why does that matter to you? Okay, I, I you know, you could say, well, if you have it, uh, if you have it below your nose, then you could still get sick. Well, what do you care about that? Are do you really think? Let me ask you something. Do you really think if someone has a mask on covering their mouth, um, and they walk by you, or they're in line next to you at Barnes and Noble, breathing through their nostrils, do you think? And this is someone who is asymptomatic, you know, has, has no known symptoms of, of COVID, is not sick with COVID as far as I know, uh, a, a healthy person. You, you think just from them standing near you for a couple of seconds, breathing out of their nostrils, they're going to get you sick when you have a mask on and are vaccinated? What are the chances of that? I don't know. I, I don't know if anyone's done a study on that. What do you think the chances are? If you are a va- you're someone, and I'm assuming you're a vaccinated person with a mask on. If you're that, if you're the, if you're the kind of person who would correct someone for their for proper mask usage, then I I think we can guarantee you've got a mask on and you're um, and you're vaccinated. So you're a vaccinated person with a mask on, standing a few feet away for a, for a few seconds from someone who's also has a mask on, but they're breathing out of their mouth. 
you, you think they're just their normal nostril fumes are going to get you sick? Again, what do you think the chances are? What do you think? They're 50%? Not even close. You think they're 1%? I'm, I'm pretty much can, I can guess that they're far left, far less than 1%. Far, far, far less. This is how irrational people have become. Which is why I, I can tell you this for me, when it comes to the mask thing now, I, I'm not doing it at all. Okay, I'm not playing the game at all. You walk into a place to tell you to wear the mask, I'm not going to wear it. If that means I can't go into the place, then I won't go. I'm not doing it, period. At the school board meeting yesterday, uh, after, fortunately this happened after most of us, after I had already uh, had a chance to speak, and most people had already had a chance to speak, and towards the end of, of public comments, they decided to mobilize security and they said, oh, y'all, you in here need to be wearing masks uh, or, or if you're not wearing masks, you have to leave. So, you know, I left and a lot of us did because I'm not I'm just not going to do it. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to play that game anymore. Um, and that seems to be where, where Chet Hanks is right now, which is good. OK, moving from uh, from COVID and, and masking to uh, for just a few minutes to go to Andrew Cuomo who is stepping down from the governorship and, uh, and, and I think a, a, a pretty surprising development. I, I, I didn't expect that he would actually step down. Um, although in hindsight, it, it makes sense because the entire political machine had turned, turned against him. And I think, you know, for any Democrat, when they're in that position, they're not going to know what to do because it is so unprecedented. Right? They don't have a play in the playbook for that. All of, the, all of the plays that Democrat politicians have in the book all come with the assumption that they're going to have the media on their side and all of the cultural institutions on their side. They don't really have a play for when that goes away because it almost never does. You know, it's like if you have an, if you have a, an, an offense in football that's predicated on having a really good offensive line. And that's what the media is for Democrats. They're playing offensive line. They're playing, they're, they're kind of blocking uh, criticism and scrutiny and everything else. Well, when your offense is predicated that way and then your whole offensive line goes down with injuries, now you're in trouble because you, you weren't factoring that possibility in really. And that's what happened to Andrew Cuomo. He was kind of out on an island um, after he uh, lost all of his lead blockers and he decided to step down. Here he is, uh, we got the clip of him announcing that he is, I think we have that clip, yes we do. Here he is announcing that he's stepping down, but he doesn't apologize or anything, and he does make himself the victim, but uh, here that is. In many ways, I see the world through the eyes of my daughters, Kara, Mariah, and Michaela. They are 26 and 26, twins, and 23. And I have lived this experience with and through them. I have sat on the couch with them, hearing the ugly accusations for weeks. I have seen the look in their eyes and the expression on their faces, and it hurt. I want my three jewels to know this. My greatest goal is for them to have a better future than the generations of women before them. It is still in many ways a man's world. It always has been. We have sexism that is culturalized and institutionalized. My daughters have more talent and natural natural gifts than I ever had. I want to make sure that society allows them to fly as high as their wings will carry them. Oh, geez, Andrew, what what are you doing? It's too late for this, bud. It's too late for all this. But again, this is the only play he has in the book as a Democrat. He doesn't know what else to do. He thinks he's going to save himself somehow by doing the girl power shtick now. The greatest people I know are women. Men are scum. The women are the greatest. <laughs> they will fly as high as their wings will carry them. Women are angels flying through the sky. Graceful, beautiful specimens while we men are down here in the muck. We disgusting men. It's, it's, it's no good. It's too late. You lost. Your team abandoned you. This is it, Andrew. I don't know what, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and speaking of his team, the media now has 
flipped to being very much anti-Cuomo, which is an interesting development in general because he is a Democrat. Also, it's it's hard to think of, uh, immediately anyway, any recent example of someone crashing and burning like this, going from such highs to such lows politically in such a short amount of time. It was only a year ago that the media was almost literally singing his praises as, 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 as choirs of angels singing praises for the Lord Almighty. I mean, that's, that's almost what they were doing. He was, he was winning Emmys. He was, he was on book tours. He was being hailed as the greatest, most popular politician in the country a year ago. And now he's on his way out the door. Let's go back, and this is always fun to do, go back through memory lane. And uh, just remember, here's a, a, a compilation that was put together by someone, not me, of uh, the media extolling the virtues of Andrew Cuomo. And all of these clips are, again, not all that long ago. Let's watch this. David, we're sitting by for Governor Cuomo's press conference, his daily briefing. How would you contrast Cuomo and President Trump's handling of the crisis? Truth versus mendacity. Governor Cuomo um, out there day after day after day, everything Trump isn't, honest, direct, brave. Real leadership of the kind the president of the United States should have provided. Governor Cuomo is clearly living in a totally different reality, the actual one, than the president of the United States. Governor Cuomo has become a national leader. For a lot of people, Andrew Cuomo has become the leader of the Democratic Party. He is conveying incredible strength. You spoke to National Guard troops today in a stirring speech that, if I wasn't listening carefully, I thought you would sending soldiers off to war. This has been a remarkable show of leadership by Governor Cuomo in recent days. He's providing hope but not false hope. Governor Cuomo, no. I think, is, is, is one of the heroes on, on the front lines. With all of this adulation that you're getting for doing your job, are you thinking about running for president? Andrew Cuomo, who has a daily television show now uh, and has become in some ways the shadow uh, president. Maybe Trump is just a little bit mad that Governor Cuomo has become a kind of acting president. Dealing with hardship actually makes you stronger. That's what Governor Cuomo said earlier today. That's what I'm going to go teach my kids right now at home. He probably did it to that goober. He probably went home. Hey, kids, I want to tell you something that Governor Cuomo said today. He probably really did that. Um, it, 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 this was never going to last when you think about it. And it, it was even weird at the time. Not because Andrew Cuomo was actually a disaster as a governor and he was directly responsible for thousands of people dying, especially elderly people in nursing homes. Um, that's not what, what made it weird to see the media singing his praises because the media sings the praises of horrible Democrat politicians all the time um, who have overseen you know, horrific disasters that have led to, to many people dying. I mean, that's, that's a normal thing. But what made it strange is, is that Andrew Cuomo is you know, an old white guy. And yeah, they like Biden, but they've, they've, never, they've never talked about Biden in the same kind of terms that they were using for Cuomo. And generally, this kind of adulation, he's a hero, he's this and that, that is reserved for non-white, especially non-male people. So in some ways, it, it, it never could last. This couldn't continue. And now they've all turned on him. Why did they turn on him? That, that's an interesting question. We can only speculate. Um, if, if I had... If you'd asked me that question months ago when this thing first broke, the, the sexual harassment scandal, at the time I figured, well, they're doing this because they want to cover and distract from the nursing home scandal, which they realize is the greater scandal. And most importantly, it's a scandal that implicates more than just Governor Cuomo, because many Democrat governors across the country did the exact same thing, including in Pennsylvania uh, and other states as well. And so I thought, well, maybe that's what this is about. Uh, they, they need to take him down first. They need to get him out of the picture for something to take the heat off of the nursing home thing because they don't want to talk about that. And so they're using sexual harassment. But now, you know, months later, no one is really talking about the, the nursing home scandal anymore, unfortunately. He survived that. And yet they're still, they're still trying to take him down. And they succeeded in their celebrating it. And it probably has a lot to do with 2024. Uh, they don't want him to be the guy in 2024. He was flying a little bit too close to the sun, so they had to take him out. Maybe that was the reason. But the fact is, that the media now is happy that he's, that he's gone. Um, doesn't matter what they were saying a year ago or six months ago. They're happy now. The left is happy that he's gone. 
And that's why when I look at this, I get a little suspicious. And when I see conservatives celebrating that Governor Cuomo has got his comeuppance, I think eh, maybe maybe we should slow down a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to see misfortune befall Governor Cuomo like anybody else. He's a horrible person, was a horrible governor. But is this really a win for the right? So if I got to be the guy, as always, finding the dark cloud within the silver lining, then I would say, what actually happened here? What happened? Governor Cuomo escapes any consequence for the nursing home scandal. Um, Democrats avoid scrutiny for other Democratic governors who had the same scandal. Me Too feminists get to claim a scalp um, because they take him down for this instead of the nursing home thing. While a female Planned Parenthood endorsed leftist, Kathy Hochul is the, the lieutenant governor, she gets to take over. Uh, so is that actually a victory? Is that something we should be celebrating? There's, there's a very good chance the person taking over will be a lot worse than Cuomo was and will do the bidding of the left much more than he did. And I, I, you know, I, was, I was making this point yesterday on Twitter and I was told by several people that, oh, well, Kathy Hochul, was, she was endorsed by the NRA back in 20, I think it was like 2010. And so that means that she's a, she's a moderate Democrat. But come on, S- please stop. You think, you think that the media would be happy as they are about an actual moderate Democrat? Do you do you think a that a, a moderate that an actual moderate Democrat could even be the lieutenant governor of New York right now? Yeah, she was endorsed by the NRA like ten years ago, around the same time that that Barack Obama was defending traditional marriage. Let's never forget that he did that not all that long ago. His first term in office, he was pro-traditional marriage. He was a defender of traditional marriage, his first term in office. Uh, so around that time, Kathy Hochul was, and I'm sure I'm saying her name incorrectly, doesn't matter. Uh, Kathy Hochul was, was, was being endorsed by the NRA. And then after, after uh, becoming lieutenant governor, she turned around and pushed for gun control and publicly accused anyone who is a gun rights advocate of being a stooge of the NRA, too afraid of the NRA. So that's what the NRA got for their trouble for endorsing this woman. She just turned around and stabbed him right in the back. Okay, she, she took the, 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 um, the shank out and shanked them right in the, in, in the back when they weren't looking. That tells you a lot more about the NRA endorsing a New York Democrat than it does about the New York Democrat herself. Uh, but she is endorsed by Planned Parenthood, and I, I can guarantee you right now that she is going to be more ideological and more of a leftist than Andrew Cuomo was. So, word of warning. On one hand, yeah, it's it's nice to see him go down for this, but on the other hand, um, it, it might be a loss for Andrew Cuomo, and that's what you're celebrating. It is not really a loss for the Democrats. They're happy about this. This works out for them. Um, and they're, and they look, they play the game. I hate to say it, but it's true that the left and Democrats, they play the game at a different level from most conservatives and Republicans, which is why many conservatives can't see this as anything but a great thing. Well, he's a Democrat and he's something bad happened to him. It's a good thing. Democrats are playing at a different level and they're thinking five steps ahead. Maybe we should start doing the same. Okay, Dr. Fauci uh, came out in favor of vaccine mandates, and his reasoning is uh, worth listening to. Well, it's not really, but we're going to listen to it anyway. Uh, not because it's good, but just actually for the opposite reason. Here, here it is. Do you think they should be mandated to be vaccinated? Yeah, I'm going to upset some people on this, but I think we should. I mean, we are in a critical situation now. We've had 615,000 plus deaths, and we are in a major surge now as we're going into the fall, into the school season. This is very serious business. You would wish that people would see why it's so important to get vaccinated, but you're not gonna get mandates centrally from the federal government. But when you're talking about local mandates, mandates for schools, for teachers, for universities, for colleges, I'm sorry, I, I mean, I know people must like to have their individual freedom and not be told to do something, 
But I think we're in such a serious situation now that under certain circumstances, mandates should be done. Yeah, people like to have their freedom. Yeah, it's 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 cute. You, you know, you 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 people, you you like to have your freedom, but it's um that's that's more of a of a privilege. That's more of a luxury that uh, you know we don't we don't have time for freedom right now. This is this is one of those things you know it, it's under normal circumstances when everyone is feeling quite safe and happy and um, and there isn't something like COVID out there that the media is generating panic over. And I mean, increasingly, they're always generating panic about something. So we don't really get these moments anymore. But in the past, um, almost everyone would would say, would declare courageously and bravely that uh, they care more about freedom than safety. Freedom is the most important thing. I'll take freedom over safety. And they'd paraphrase uh, the, the founding fathers about how, how you know, we should never exchange freedom for safety and so on and so forth. And probably, probably even now, I, I don't know, but this would be an interesting thing to poll, actually. But certainly before this, if you had done some sort of poll and asked Americans of all ideological stripes, what, what do you think, what is more important to you as an American, freedom or safety? I would bet you, prior to 18 months ago, uh, you'd get 99% saying, oh, of course, freedom is the most important thing. And, and there, there, there is such cognitive dissonance that even now, I bet you, you would get a, a clear majority saying freedom is the most important. But then when something comes along that actually jeopardizes your safety, potentially, even if only minimally from a statistical standpoint, when that thing comes along, um, that's when the rubber meets the road, and it's time to, 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 to find out, do you actually value freedom or not? And it turns out that most people don't. That's the unfortunate reality. Most people, freedom is the kind of thing that most people don't value. And by the way, that's why most people in the world and throughout history aren't really free. You know, because to begin with, starting point, in order for people to be really free, they have to want to be. That's, that's the first thing. You have, to, you have to value it and want it. You have to value your own liberty. If you don't, then there's no hope. And what we discover is that most people don't. And um, they certainly don't in modern America. They value their safety and they want to be comfortable. And I think most people look at their lives and they say, well, what is freedom? What, what do I need freedom for? What does that do for me? Who cares about that? What, what, what do I want to do with my time? Uh, I want to be, be well fed. I want to be able to eat anything that I can eat. And um, I want to spend time inside watching Netflix and playing video games. And I want to scroll the internet. And I want to go on TikTok and Instagram. And, I, and that's, that's all I want to do. That's what I want to do with my time. That's what I want to do with my life. I don't care about anything else. That's the attitude of most people in this country. And they say, and rightly, in fact, I don't need freedom for that. I can be totally oppressed. I could have almost no freedom. And, and I'd still be happy. I mean, the government could come and literally put a padlock on the outside of my front door and force me to stay inside. And you know, I'd probably be okay because most of the stuff I want to do is inside anyway. It's on this screen. It's on my phone. It's on the TV. That's, that's the attitude. And, and we're seeing now the consequences of it. All right, let's move on now to reading the comments. This is from Thor. He says, seriously, Matt, cut Simone Biles a break. How is she supposed to think rationally about any moral issue when she has the twisties? You bastard. I wish I had thought of that joke. That should have been my joke. You're banned from the show, but nice job. Um, Living Woman Ministries says, Matt, I came from foster, then was later adopted. I was abused until I was 16. Still, I'd rather have lived through all of that than with my crackheaded mother and her boyfriend while eating paint off the walls because I was hungry, which gave me lead poisoning, or watching him almost kill her. It is that easy. Foster care reform, yes. More affordable adoption agencies, yes. But abortion, no. Well, that's a horrific story. I'm sorry you went, you lived through that. And I'm glad you did live, though, through that. 
and survive. And uh, it sounds like now you're thriving. And the thing is, I said this yesterday, being in the pro-life movement and um, going to, you know, events and, and protests and rallies and, and things um, and meeting other pro-life people, you, you come across these stories all the time. And, and that doesn't make them any less powerful. They're, they're so powerful every time you hear them. But there are so many people very invested in the pro-life movement who themselves were adopted. They were in foster care. They had horrific childhoods. That unimaginable to most of us, to me. And yet, they're still saying, I'm glad I lived. I'm glad that my mother at least chose life. At least she did that much for me. Um, what does that tell you? And what does it tell you that, that so often, many of the most vocal proponents of the pro-abortion side, they didn't have childhoods like that. They grew up pretty comfortable. And yet they're now sitting back on their comfortable perch and saying about all these kids in these dire situations that, well, they might as well be dead. What's what's the point of life? Because for them, go back to what we just said we were talking about a second ago. For them, they've always been comfortable. They've always lived lived in luxury. They've never suffered. They've never had to make any sacrifices. And they've come so accustomed to it, they can't imagine life without it. And and when they think of a, of a less comfortable life, much less a life that features real incredible suffering, like in the comment we just read there, for them it seems like you might as well not have life. Because for them, the concept of life is inextricably linked with comfort and luxury because that's how, what their life has always been. They can't conceptualize how anyone could suffer so greatly and yet still be happy to live. Um, cool Papa J Magic says immediate cringe when White House and TikTok influencer are in the same sentence. Yes, or when they're in separate sentences also is, is a time for cringing. Um, another comment says he mispronounced penis as Phineas. I can't. No, actually, I pronounced it as penis, which is the proper and dignified way to say the word. Mr. Tubin, sir, your penis is on display, sir. Have you no shame, sir? That's how it's used in a sentence. Um, Lexi says, cyclists can be annoying, yes, but I believe Matt should address the people who drive large tractors down the road and refuse to pull to the side when there are dozens of cars trailing behind them. Many times the cars behind can't see around them and it can be very unsafe. I've seen many near collisions when a car tries to pass and nearly hits a car coming the other way because they can't see them. I, I see your point. It is certainly annoying. Um, having just moved from uh, a rural area, I, that's something I encountered all the time, tractors. And it, yeah, it's annoying, but I don't put that in the same category at all as cyclists. Because the person on the tractor, if they're just going for a joyride, then yeah, I agree with you. Get the hell off the road. But most of them are not on a joyride. They're, they're working and they're, they, they need to get from point A to point B. And so they have to get on the road. And, you know, it's not like they're on the road most of the time for 80 miles. They're not getting on the highway. Um, they're on a backcountry road and they got to get from point A to point B in the process of, of working. So they are using the road for what it's meant to be used for. And this is not recreational. What gets me about the cyclists is that most of them, this is recreation. This is something they do because it's fun. And now the rest of us have to be inconvenienced because you're having a good time. That I don't like. Um, Victor says, would Matt read a comment that is only here to help the algorithm? No, sir, I would not. Absolutely not. Um, uh, Kuros says, after just reading, after just finding this channel and watching a ton of videos, I have to think that this is the first thing I've ever disagreed with you on as I'm highly pro-choice. Well, you've watched a ton of my videos and you're just learning that I'm pro-life? How is that not, does that not come through in everything I say? That's like if someone said, Matt, I've been listening to you for a year. I've listened to everything you've said. And uh, now all of a sudden you tell me you're against the trans agenda? I had no idea. Um, and finally, CJ says, love your show, Matt, but just because someone doesn't have kids, that doesn't automatically mean that they have it easier. They also don't get child support checks and are far less eligible for financial assistance than single parents. I've known plenty of people who get so much money just for being single parents that they don't even need to earn an income at all. A single person may not have dependents, but they also have zero support, a uh, zero support system. Well, first of all, that's not true. I mean, single people during, during COVID have been getting le- money left and right. 
So you're not actually right about that. Of course, this is not a this is a broad statement, a general statement, but it doesn't apply. There are exceptions. It doesn't apply in every case. A single person can have a special, particular, unique circumstance that makes their life a lot harder than someone with, with kids, obviously. If you're suffering, you know, you could be suffering some sort of physical um, disability or something like that, that that makes it harder to find a job and everything else. But all, all other things being equal, assuming we're talking about physically healthy people, uh, and you have one on one hand that has a family to feed and another on the other hand who is uh, single and has no dependents at all. Yeah, especially when we're talking about supporting yourself and living and getting jobs and all of that. As a single person, you're going to have it a lot easier. Definitely. Because no one else depends on you. You can do whatever you want. And I don't say that as, as some sort of pissing contest between us where I'm saying, I'm a, I'm a parent and my life is so much harder. No, what I'm saying to you, if you're in this category, CJ, which maybe I assume you are, this is a great thing. Take advantage of it. Okay, it's also great to, to be a parent and to have, to have a family. But while there are advantages to being a single person, especially early on in life, when, when you're younger and you haven't yet got to that point in your life where, you're, where you have a family, um, take advantage of that. It annoys me to no end. It, it, it distresses me. It causes me sorrow even. When I see younger the people in their early 20s who are single, they have no dependents, and they sit around all day, and they don't have a job, and they say, I can't find a job. I don't know where to go. I, there are no jobs, right? even though there's 10 million jobs available right now, literally. Uh, I can't find a job. I can't do this. I can't do that. What are you doing? You... There's no, you can do anything. Just get up. You can move. You you can find a job that, that you want anywhere in the world and go to it. Not only do you have that ability, but it's an adventure that you can, that you can go on. It's an experience that you can let when you later, when you have kids, you can tell them about it. You can do anything. So go do it. What are you sitting around here for? There's no excuse for that. It doesn't matter. You find a job in South Dakota or in Hawaii, like anywhere. You could be totally mobile. And you also know that when you you can take risks. I mean, as we should always be taking calculated risks, even when you become when you have a family. But before you have a family, the, the calculation is different and you could take greater risks. Because the downside is, is, is not quite as steep. So let's say you move somewhere for a job opportunity. It doesn't work out. And now you're out there. And, and, and uh, what's like worst case scenario? You, you end up losing your apartment. You have, to, you have to sleep in your car for a few weeks before you find somewhere else to stay. That's not good. You don't want to have to do that. But I tell you something. You can do it as a single person, as a single young person, physically healthy. Many of us have done stuff like that. Because we had to. It's a lot different when you have kids. Now, all of a sudden, you can't be so flippant about it. I just, I, I wish you would take advantage of it and go and, and explore the world and take big risks and, and go and pursue opportunities and do it with like a, a, a gusto and an ambition and even a certain recklessness that, you, that you're not going to be able to afford later in life. Now's your time to do it, so do it. That was my motivational speech for the day. Say, folks, have you heard that Ben Shapiro has a new book out? Well, he does. The Authoritarian Moment is what the book is called, and there could not be a better time or more appropriate time for it. Uh, it's what we talked about today on the show. We talk about it every day because this is what we're dealing with in the culture is the leftist tyrants taking over and uh, removing our freedom and our liberties if you want to know all about that and also what we can do about it, you got to pick up The Authoritarian Moment. Now available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any other major bookseller. And if there's any time to enter to win a free trip to the Daily Wire studio to meet Candace Owens and see her live show, it is now. If you sign up now as a Daily Wire member with code VIP, you'll get 25% off your new membership and be automatically entered for a chance to win a trip for two to the Daily Wire studios to see Candace live. And um, if you're lucky, it's a show that I will be starring on. Uh, but even if I'm not, it's still worth seeing. Not quite as as worth it as it would be otherwise, but still. Not only will you be meeting Candace, you'll be getting an inside look at her studio and front row seats to watch her take down leftists live and in action on her talk show, Candace. So 
Get a great deal on a new Daily Wire membership at dailywire.com slash subscribe with code VIP and 25% off so you can automatically be entered for a chance to win the VIP experience. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. We began the show talking about fear, and that's how we'll end it with our daily cancellation. Many people, in fact, fear the daily cancellation, knowing that if they're canceled by me, then, well, nothing at all will happen to them. But still, they tremble in terror, or so I like to tell myself. In any case, we know that COVID is not the only existential threat that uh, we're meant to so deeply fear. Uh, It's not the only boogeyman hiding around every corner or the only monster on the prowl lurking, waiting to descend upon us and rip us limb from limb if we dare to leave our homes. There are a few other beasts of this type, including... Of course, racism. Our cultural uh, overlords have convinced us, many of us anyway, that our country is brimming with racism. America is, they tell us, a a bubbling cauldron of white supremacy. Black people can't walk down the street without being accosted or even assaulted and murdered by white racists. The problem is that this is all entirely mythological. It doesn't reflect reality or come close to it. We're told that there are white racists everywhere, and yet we can't find them almost anywhere. For the rational among us, this leads us to the logical conclusion that the narrative is simply false. But the irrational, unable to process the possibility that a media narrative might be untrue, God forbid, instead fill in the blanks with their own imaginations. It becomes like a game of looking up at the sky and discerning the shapes of the clouds. You know, you might look at a cloud and see nothing but a white and gray blob. But if someone points to it and says, hey, that looks kind of like a triceratops, then you look back at it and you say, oh, okay, yeah, I can see that now. I can see the triceratops. You can imagine that you see it. And this is how the irrational mob approaches racism. Because they've already been told that it's there, they start to see it too. Even if they wouldn't have seen it without that preconditioning, without that suggestion. A perfect example of this phenomenon is the recent controversy over a fan at a Colorado Rockies game who allegedly yelled a racial slur. While Miami Marlins player Lewis Brinson, who was black, was up at bat, a fan in the stands sitting in the front can be heard shouting something. It was decided by the social media mob that he shouted the N-word, and so they immediately mobilized to track this guy down and bring him to justice in the whole nine yards. But of course, as it turns out, he didn't say the N-word at all. Here's the clip that made its way to Twitter and uh, started all that. Let's listen. Okay. Three yesterday. Here's the 1-0. And again, it's 2-0. And this is not to pick on, on Ben today. Three yesterday. Here's the 1-0. And again, it's 2-0. And this is not to pick on on three yesterday. Here's the 1-0. And again, it's 2-0. And this is not to pick on... Okay. It's a good thing that clip was only a few seconds long because my limit is one minute. If I have to watch baseball for any more than one minute, I immediately fall asleep. But groggy as I was while watching that, and before knowing what exactly the guy was saying, it was already clear to me from the context that he definitely wasn't shouting the N-word. Least of all, was he shouting it at the, at the player that was at bat? First of all, he's supposed to be shouting it at the batter, but he's looking, he's not looking at the batter. He's looking off to the side. He's clearly waving to someone to the side. Who looks off to the side in the stands while shouting at a player? You ever seen it? Let's look at you're standing right there at the where the, the camera is. That's you. And I'm looking over here. Hey, hey, over here. Clearly, he's not talking to that guy. Also. Let's pretend this guy is the biggest racist in the world. He's not, but let's say he was. Do you really think he would commit suicide by shouting the N-word at the top of his lungs on camera in front of a, in the front row of a major league baseball game? And if he was committing such an act of self-immolation, why wasn't anyone in the stands reacting? Nobody looks at the guy. There's no commotion in the stands at all, as there certainly would be if a white guy was screaming the N-word at the batter. This alone is enough to tell a rational person that whatever the dude was saying, it wasn't that. And yet the irrational people, convinced that racism is lurking everywhere, can fill in these blanks too. They figure, well, uh, you know, of course he'd shout the N-word. That's what all old white guys do. The guy probably walks around every day shouting it. He probably gets together with his buddies and shouts it for fun, his recreation. Probably calls his friends up and says, hey, you want to come over and shout the N-word? Are you sure we just did that yesterday? Yeah, yeah, I felt like doing it again. Okay. Why wasn't anyone reacting? Well, because they're all racist too. And uh, they're used to hearing the N-word shouted because they also shout at themselves for fun on a daily, if not hourly basis. When, When you've been deluded into believing the media narrative, this is the kind of mental gymnastics you do with little effort. So it doesn't much matter that the Colorado Rockies investigated this incident because this is the kind of stuff we investigate now and concluded with certainty that the fan in question was shouting at the team mascot, Dinger. 
And that makes sense because when you, you can see him in the video pointing and waving towards the mascot. Turns out he was talking to the mascot. Huh, okay, that's how you fit those, those uh, two dots together. That's how you connect the dots there. That should put an end to the controversy, but um, and a controversy that never should have started in the first place, but it won't because people will refuse to believe it or else will say that even if the fan didn't say the N-word then, he probably has said it before. And so he deserves to be doxxed and destroyed anyway. But that isn't even the most absurd case of fake racism this week. For that, we turn to the Star Tribune in an article titled, No More Master Bedrooms, Minnesota Real Estate Listings Aim for Inclusivity. We are told, quote, browse through home listings today and you'll find terms like primary bedroom, dual closet, and in-law suites instead of master bedroom, his and her closets, and mother-in-law suites. It's part of a new real estate terminology that's emerging during a time of racial reckoning and pleas for more inclusive language. Quote, there's a hidden discriminatory piece that falls when you say master bedroom, said Jackie Berry, a listing agent for Edna Realty and an educator in a racism and real estate continuing education class for Minnesota industry professionals. Uh, I'm a person of color, and every time the term master bedroom was used, I kept saying to myself, I don't like how it sounds. Now, as I'm walking through a property, I'll just say it's the owner's or primary suite. In recent years, several Twin Cities, area, Twin City area listing agents and real estate companies have been phasing out the word master because of its association with slavery. But we're still going to use the word owner. <laughs> okay. Attorney Ben Crump, uh, who's the lawyer who rappels down from a helicopter and holds a press conference within five minutes of any violent black suspect getting shot by the cops. He tweeted this article out and he offered his, his uh, words of support for the move saying, quote, words matter. Good to see Minnesota phasing out the use of master bedroom in real estate listings. Many associated with slavery, a repetitive reminder of plantation life. Together, we can create more inclusive, aware communities. Yes, many associate master bedroom with slavery. And many associate the words Ben Crump with ambulance-chasing, race-hustling, lying scumbag. The difference is, the latter association makes sense. As far as those, those who associate master bedroom with slavery, there's a word for them. Um, wrong. They're just wrong. The two things have nothing to do with each other. Master bedroom was first used in a Sears catalog about six decades after slavery was abolished. I'm sure that slave owners did sleep in bedrooms which perhaps is an argument for abolishing all rooms, if not all houses. But the terminology has nothing to do with it. Indeed, the word master appears all over the English language in many other contexts that are equally innocuous. Perhaps next we need to, get, we need to find new words for masterpiece, mastermind, postmaster, quartermaster, not to mention Jeffrey Tubin's favorite pastime. All of these master words have nothing to do with slavery or racism, Unless, of course, everything has something to do with slavery and racism. Maybe that ultimately is the answer here. I don't know. As all words, phrases, ideas, things, people, and concepts can in some way be tied back to slavery and racism, maybe we should abolish them all. The world should become a place devoid of life and light and substance, an empty abyss, much like Ben Crump's brain. That, that's the only way we can ever be free of racism, is through the utter and complete annihilation of all things. How will we accomplish this? I don't know. Maybe we could find some way to jettison the entire planet into a black hole. Except, of course, we won't call it that. Either that, or we can choose sanity and truth. Which means, to begin with, saying to Ben Crump and the frantic, race-obsessed outrage mob, you are all canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, everyone. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. 
John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo resigns, Chicago police turn their backs on the mayor, and the U.S. has a record 10.1 million job openings. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire.